welcome to Trek Companion. This is episode 211. I am your host, Brian Williams. I am Adam Caesar. I'm Stephen Embry. And today we're going to be discussing Voyager's fourth season, Scorpion Part 2, The Gift, and Day of Honor. Here we go. Scorpion Part 2, Season 4, Episode 1, Production Code 169, Original Air Date, September 3rd, 1997, Directed by Winnert Colby, Written by Joe Minoski, Music Composed by Jay Chataway. Guest cast include... Uh, Erica Lynn Bryan as young Annika Hansen, David Anthony Marshall as Magnus Hansen, and Nikki Tyler Flynn as Aaron Hansen. The attack by Species 8472 leads the board to accept Janeway's offer in exchange for safe passage through their space towards the Alpha Quadrant, and she and Tuvok begin discussions. However, the Borg, believing verbal communication to be inefficient, attempt to attach a neural probe to Janeway through assimilation. Janeway stops them and instead suggests they choose a representative Borg for her to speak through. Soon after, a drone calling, a drone calling herself 709 emerges as the chosen representative. I'm Captain Janeway. This is Lieutenant Tuvok. We are aware of your designations. What's your designation? Seven of nine, tertiary adjunct of Unimatrix 01. But you may call me Seven of Nine. Scorpion Part Two. Well, first of all, listeners, you might possibly be able to tell that uh, there's something a little amiss with my voice. I'm sorry I'm coming through a cold here, but uh, we're going to persevere and push on through. <laughs> and sorry <laughs> if I sound funny. Uh, but this is our first episode back after the holiday break. I just wanted to ask real quick you guys had a good time? Yes. Yeah, good holiday yeah. season. Yeah, Did you good. get anything Star Trekky for Christmas? Um, well, kind of a tradition of sorts, I suppose, is every Christmas I get all of the uh current the current year's uh, Hallmark Christmas ornaments from my parents. So yes. I got those. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah, well, I got I, I get one each year. Mm-hmm. Not all of them. I usually get the whatever the ship is. I got the discovery and it's pretty great. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you sent out a um, a text of that, right? Is that what you? Yeah, just to you two. I didn't mm-hmm. put it up or anything. Um, although I did get my my son. <laughs> I'm sorry, I should have put this at the end of the podcast, but and I said I wasn't going to talk very much. My son wanted to play with the Romulan bird of prey, Hallmark ornament, which is like literally my favorite ornament. <laughs> you know, it looks exactly like it did in Balance of Terror. And he's so young that I didn't really want him to play with it. <laughs> So I said, just wait for Christmas. I got him like a, a full-size starship, like a large um, diamond select one. And it's cool. pretty awesome. Nice. Anyway. Okay. So Scorpion Part 2. Well, let's start off talking about Seven of Nine. Because here she is. Here is Seven of Nine. Do you guys kind of... I'll tell you what, what my just my general feeling of watching all three today and see if that and starts your discussion with you guys but you know at the time it seemed so radical at the time i felt like why are they getting rid of jennifer lean at the time i felt like by the time she gets into her costume her regular full silvery gray costume like it was so i don't know it was almost too voluptuous it was it just it was so crazy and i and maybe it's just time watching this stuff now it feels totally normal and right that they that they got rid of Jennifer Lean and brought on, I don't know, maybe, I don't know if that's just time or if they were just 
smart and it really was the right time to make a change like this because this is this is unprecedented i don't think any other show did this right um no i mean you know we've talked about Cass a lot and you know how um you know it just kind of seemed like they ran out of things to do with her or or they just you know lack the creativity with it i think i was thinking about this um earlier when i was watching the episodes and i'm like you know i kind of i feel like the character cast it was an interesting character you have this um the species that only lives several years um and so they in a weird way maybe they kind of box themselves in with her i mean you know or do you like start showing her aging quite a bit do you you possibly have to change characters to show an older cast so what you know what do you do with her and it just seemed like um especially you know throughout the last season that they just they just didn't really kind of know what to do with her and now the reasons for that i mean are you know i don't know for sure but um, you know, if I remember correctly, the ratings in season three weren't great, and so like you know, um, seven and nine, you know, it's just kind of they shook things up. You know, you bring in Jerry Ryan, who is um, you know, she's she's stunning. Um, so that's gonna um, intrigue your your male audience, obviously. Um, you ta- I noticed that too, Brian. I didn't quite remember it till the end, but I'm like, oh crap, yeah, she's and and when she was in her silver costume, I was like, yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. <laughs> she's very nice um but but beyond that i mean i i am you know i you know watching this first episode and watching jerry ryan jerry ryan um portray seven and nine she's really good i mean the character's really good um she portrays it um in a, in a great way so i just don't want to like say you know oh they brought her in just because she looks good she did a very good job portraying the character they did a very job very good job writing her and you know we'll see that throughout the next several seasons um but yeah, that's kind of, those were my kind of my thoughts on Kess. It's just that's just the thought I thought about is like you know they kind of box themselves in with what to do with her. And to... Well, we can talk about that a little bit more in the next episode, I think, since that's the last Kess episode. But like Steve, do you remember leading up to this the introduction of this new character and kind of what your first thoughts were? And and has it does it feel any different now, looking back on the introduction of Seven of Nine? You know, it's funny because I don't really remember exactly how I viewed it back then. You know, I remember it was a big deal, of course, because it wasn't obviously it was pretty it's uncommon for, you know, a a series, a Trek series and whatever series to just, okay, I'm going to drop a character, we're going to add a character, all this kind of stuff. It was certainly interesting. And, you know, this was coming off, you know, just a year after, um, first contact and so it's kind of like borg mania you mean you know in terms of the trek universe and so um you know i don't i don't recall specifically being you know flabbergasted by the whole thing or or bowled over by it in terms of um what they did was unusual or weird i i I do remember thinking as as would be expected i suppose oftentimes when you add a character it became like a big seven of nine extravaganza you know for a while it felt like everything was focusing on her you know because when you have to bring everyone up to up to speed on the new character you know it's almost like they try to catch up her characterization compared to everybody else or something you know we did see that in the last season of ds9 mm-hmm. when a lot of those episodes seemed yes. to focus on esri but that was i mean that was literally the last season of the show everybody knew it was the last season of the show frankly everybody knew it was because Farrell wanted to leave. Yeah, this is in the middle of the series, so it, it does feel pretty different. And and there is no part of Seven of Nine that is anything like Kess. No, no, no. Um, but yeah, I do agree with the notions. Like you said, we can talk more about Kess later. But yeah, they just they wanted to turn everything around. I mean, I'm sure most of it, or a lot of it at least, was a 
a ratings thing and how are we going to get more viewers, how are we going to get people interested in the show, but they did need to shake things up at some point and kind of change change the direction a little bit to um, to give them more opportunities to tell different stories and so on. And her character certain, certainly provided that opportunity. Well, a funny thing about Cass, you know, we kind of talked about in the in the third season how, you know, she was, they, you know, she was barely used or when she was used, the episodes weren't good. Um, and these two episodes of Scorpion and the next episode we're going to talk about, they used her very well. And it's kind of, <clears throat> it's kind of odd to think about that. It's like, you know, I was intrigued by her character in these last few episodes that she's in. So, and she yeah. Was- and then given how the user, it also was kind of like, well, of course they have to get rid of her because then <laughs> she can, she can do anything, you know, what kind yeah. of story are you going to tell when you have someone on your side that's like God or something, you know? Yeah. So. Well, I always remember that uh, the best Wesley and almost the only good Wesley <laughs> Crusher episodes were the ones after he left the show. Right, right. You know? mm-hmm. uh, so, well, what do you think about this actual episode then? You know, uh, this whole, you know, obviously 709 is significant, but the real story in this episode, I think, is probably that story between Janeway and Chakotay, mm-hmm. which... Janeway is getting put into a coma and she, before she goes, she tells Chakotay, do this. And the first thing he does is do the opposite. (laughs) Then the next thing he does is literally kill every Borg except seven of nine. Mm -hmm. Like what a crappy guy. (laughs) (laughs) Now, ultimately um, seven of nine does say, we're going to assimilate you right at the end there. And, it was instead of Janeway just being mad at Chakotay, she realizes and he realizes that they really need to work together. And so we get something out of that conflict. Um, but it did seem almost like they went a little bit too far. Like I didn't, I didn't think Chakotay would be that much. I mean, not season four Chakotay <laughs> that, you know, like at this point he should be a little more on board. I don't know. So yeah. what are you guys thoughts about that storyline? What's, what's funny is that, you know, I, I see what you're saying and I, I agree with that to an extent, but I also felt that first off, what does continue off from part one is that Janeway comes off almost, I mean, she's the captain, do whatever you want, but so just acerbic and dictatorial in this whole notion of here's what has to happen. I believe this has to happen period. And, and yes, there's, you know, at some point her, her um, viewpoint has to be what prevails. It's just the way this works, but you know, it just seemed like she's almost trying to push his buttons. And then yes, he did opposite, but ultimately the person in command has, I, 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 at the same time, I did not feel that he did something, certainly didn't do something in spite of her, what she directed him to do. I felt that he, to him, this seemed like the proper course of action. It wasn't some just contrary notion or something like that for him to do it. I mean, ultimately it all ended up fine because when she comes around and she's angry, they do, they do come together and they, you know, make this work. But um, I do wonder if she seemed to, she took maybe too big of a risk and without some of that influence that he, that he provided with his viewpoint, it could have gone, gone too far the other direction where they couldn't have pulled it out. You know, the, the, the Borg would have done something that they couldn't have countered, you know? So I don't know. I thought it was interesting and I, I felt it wasn't, it wasn't too contrary to the characterization of Chakotay we'd seen so far. 
Uh, yeah, I'd kind of, I'd have definitely have to agree with you, Steve. Um, I didn't, I didn't feel like Jacote was out of line with what he did in this episode. I mean, he was put in a, a situation where, okay, um, I, he has to trust the board to do what they're they're gonna do, or he, um, or or he's gonna do what he thinks is best to, to safeguard the ship. So I, I didn't particularly think it was out of character for for him. I mean, you know, in this in this instance, they used a dramatic trick where. Um, both Chakotay and Janeway, they're both right. And at the same time, they're both wrong. So in the scene where they, you know, they had an um, sick bay where, you know, they, they're, they kind of start off back and forth. Um, you did, you went against me, you know, and then they come together. Like, you know, we have to start listening to each other. We have to start working together, you know, and that was the, um, that was the realization of them both that they both were right in what they're thinking. And they have to, they had to mesh that together to, for the betterment of, of the entire crew. And that's kind of what they, I think Janeway kind of started to see like, okay, yeah, you're right. We shouldn't trust them. I'm because what Steve was saying, I think she was too, too blinded about her own views and like, Oh, I have to get out of here. And she didn't see, you know, she didn't basically didn't see the tiger in the cage. And that's where Chakotay came in. Um, and, you know, that's, you know, that was, that was the drama. That was the the conflict. They kind of, that was the real conflict in this, in this, really these both these episodes that scorpion episodes is it, it was the conflict between Janeway and Chakotay and um you know it's it's kind of unique because we don't we don't often see that kind of um butting of heads of the first officer and um captain in the other shows so um i it didn't bother me and i didn't think it was out of either of their characters well you know earlier when i was saying um i didn't seem to have the reaction to 7 of 9s entry on the show and Kez's departure that I did when this show first aired. Um, and then maybe that means they were, they were right or they were just ahead of their time and, you know, it took a while. I, I think one of the things I was getting at was me now watching this show, I felt ready for a change, you know? And yeah, maybe that was because I knew seven of nine was coming, but it felt like, um, like a lot of the season three stuff, I just, I felt ready for a change, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I see that. And I also think that um, we may have over time become more accustomed to things like this. I mean, these kind of maneuverings in, in modern day television, it's much more common, at least on certain, in certain shows and so on to burden be out of the question. Like, okay, someone you think is a major character, oh, let's kill him off after a season or two. And then someone else comes on or let's just switch up the setting or something, you know, that, that kind of, you know, up to this point, um, well, even, you know, all the way through the nineties, whatever, you know, there was still the vast majority of the time, you know, it's just, it's just very structured, you know, here's this cast of people, they do this thing and all you're doing is changing the, the situation they're in or whatever, but most of it's the same. So now this kind of thing is, is more common. And so it probably doesn't strike us as strange, you know, so yeah, that's kind of one of the things about Trek. I mean, they know. I mean, I mean, what major characters have they killed off? I mean, you know, you were you were talking about Dax from DS Nine, but yeah, that was you know, we're going to the last season, and everybody kind of knew what was going on. It wasn't like um, wasn't like they did it mid season, you know. Um, but you know, if you look back, I mean, whatever, what characters have been killed off? You know, in the movies, Spock was killed off, but he was brought back later on, and um, obviously in um, um, Star Trek Nemesis, you know, Data's killed off, but he's not really gone, and We'll probably never see what happens with that character 
beyond, but it's well, uh, maybe, <laughs> maybe, I mean, who knows? Um, but I mean, yeah, they've, that's, this, that's one of the, um, dramatic storytelling themes that, um, Trek, um, never, never really fully took advantage of is like, you know, um, killing off a, can- a character. And so, I mean, this in a weird way is kind of the closest they've, they've come to it. Is this episode about anything? Um, I think it goes back to the to the cotton. I mean, the major the major theme point of this of these really the both these episodes um, are were wasn't the conflict between the Borg and Voyager or um, a four seven two and Voyager and the Borg. The conflict was um, between Janeway and Jacote, and um, I think it was a good one. You know, they 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 saw things from their own point of view, and they couldn't you know, in the first episode and they couldn't manage to bridge that gap. You know, there was this rift that was built between them and it wasn't until, it wasn't until later in the second, second episode of Scorpion that they, you know, there was a breakthrough that they realized that they were butting heads against each other and they weren't working each other. And it was affecting everything that was going on around them. And they came to that realization is like, it's better to work together. Even if you don't agree a hundred percent, you mesh those, you mesh those things together and you, you do what's right for everyone around. Yeah, and um, I I think really for especially for kind of an action you know cliffhanger type episode, they did a pretty good job here because usually we we I'm gonna say usually oftentimes we have trouble finding like deciding what is this about when we're talking about an action filled especially cliffhanger type episode because it's not really the focus sometimes you know it's like okay it's, it's about special effects and action and all this kind of stuff. But, you know, they, they have this, they have this notion of you have a contrast between the Borg, the a collective, the group thing, and then you have the individuals and so on. And then, you know, the Borg are trying to uh, state this whole time. Okay. We have our advantages and whatever. And yes, you see up until the very end, all this conflict and you have the conflict and leadership and see it's a disadvantage, but then it's not, you know, the working together of two different viewpoints ends up being, what what prevails and then the undercurrent of all this is this notion in the title of the episode even the scorpion thing of of chakotay's tale that he tells early on but then it you know they use that in the end this kind of nature the nature of the beast kind of thing you know and chakotay recognized that as a thing and uh his recognition of that and even him being correct helped you know um mitigate a potential disaster if he hadn't have warned Janeway of this and she played along with that. So I think these, these kind of themes make it, you know, not, not just a, you know, an action romp kind of two-parter cliffhanger. I think it's pretty good. So yeah, I, I like these. Cool. Let's do six degrees for Scorpion part two. Adam. Yes. This is a season opening part two with the Borg. Name the first time Next Gem did that, and what season was it? Um, that would have been going into season three of Next Gem. Well, name the episode. <laughs> oh my gosh, it just slipped out of my head. Oh, I'm going to hate myself. Um, holy crap. Give me two seconds. All right, you can have it, Steve. Damn it. <laughs> the best of both worlds. Part yeah. two. And what season was that? Uh, beginning of season four, actually. Was it four? You are correct. Okay, Steve, name the second time Next Gen did that. 
The second time they had a cliffhanger? Oh, oh the, the Borg specifically. The second time they opened a season with a part two that was a Borg thing. Um, so would that be um, the beginning of season seven with Descent part two? You got it. Steve has two. Moving on. The Gift, season four, episode two, production code 170. Original air date, September 10th, 1997. Directed by Anson Williams, written by Joe Minoski, music composed by Dennis McCarthy. Guest cast include Jennifer Lean as Kess. Voyager still remains without warp propulsion and is infested with Borg technology. Seven of nine, seven of nine, the Borg drone saved from the destruction of her cube, has her connection with the Borg collective severed. She is now able to function as an individual, but is shocked by the change. Meanwhile, Kess has learned to manipulate matter on a subatomic level and begins to see even beyond that. Unable to control herself and wanting to explore her new abilities, Kess has become a danger to the, to the ship. And she and Janeway agree she should leave before she causes more damage. What's wrong? Something's happening. I can see further beyond the subatomic. Yes, there is nothing beyond the subatomic. But I can see it too, Vok. All right, so if you have anything else you want to say about Kess's departure, now would be the opportune time. Well, I mean, if there's going to be a last episode, I thought this was a good good last episode for her. She was, um, um, I think I like the scene best with her and Neelix. I mean, we never got a, a resolution from their relationship. They're just all of a sudden they're they're not together, if if they ever really were, but um, I kind of enjoyed that scene with her and Neelix in um in the mess hall. You know, you know, Neelix is like, I was just holding you back, and she's like, I will always love you. I'm, I I wouldn't be here if if it wasn't for you. So I thought that was a good. We finally kind of got a um kind of got a resolution to what was going on between them in the last, first three seasons. Um. Um, we had a good scene with her. I enjoyed the scene with her and Janeway when they were when they were discussing like um, her leaving. You know, Janeway, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll always argue to keep you to stay, but you know, she's going to leave. I, and and this time around, you know, I felt a little bit. I felt the confidence in Kess that she knew what she was doing and she knew what she needed to do. Whereas in the past, it was always um, some insecurities about what was going on with her. So that that was kind of my first impressions of. Of Kess and you know her leaving the show and this being her well, not her last episode but her last episode for a while. So I thought it was I thought it was well written for her to leave and I thought she performed it well. Yeah, I, I thought they did a good job. You know, they only have forty some minutes in this thing where you know this is the, her last one. So how many goodbyes are you gonna have? And it could easily have become uh, trite or too much or missing out on saying goodbye to the right people. But overall, I think they balanced it pretty well. She had at the very least little moments with her, the, the people that she had the strongest relationships with throughout it. They didn't dwell too long on the development of her powers. We already know she's like Superman practically getting to that point. And it, you know, they, they did it to a point and realized, and they illustrated how she's dangerous and how she needs to move on. And at the same time, they're, uh, they're making, um, at least small advances in the seven of nine character, at least to bring her up to the point that they have her at the end of the episode. And they're juggling all that pretty well, I think in this episode. So I think, I think they did a really good job um, with essentially the episode that transitions Kess out and seven of nine in as permanent characters and so forth. 
Yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a good point, Steve. I mean, yeah, you're normally introducing a new character. That new character has the whole episode to themselves. And, you know, and vice versa, if your character's leaving, normally they have that whole episode to themselves. But they intertwine this um, all the way through. And, uh, you know, it was a clever way of, of doing things. You know, hey, we're here's seven and nine. She's going through this metamorphosis of um, being an individual and, you know, having all of her Borg stuff removed you know she you know it's kind of akin to you know you know the stories that you know the old westerns that you see um you know when children are you know taken care of by um native americans and they're brought up that whole way and then they're brought back into normal civilization that's kind of the story that reminds me of that um you know searchers john wayne you know they that that kind of thing and yeah you have um this character that we've that we've come to know for the last you know several years and she's she's leaving and um you're, you're right. They didn't dwell on it too long. I think another thing I forgot to mention is like, I like the, the scene with Paris at the end when um, Jamie says, and um, she's leaving, you don't see Paris saying, you just see the look and an expression on his eyes. It's like, Oh my God, you know, so you could kind of feel that. So I did a good job um, with this and it's kind of unique in that way. One comes and one leaves. My only minor complaint would, I, I agree. They juggle it all pretty well. My only minor complaint is that it feels, I don't know. Like maybe there should have maybe it should have felt like the episode like Kes's episode, you know, like maybe she deserved that after three years, right. but it doesn't. I mean, it feels like fifty percent Kes leaving, fifty percent seven to come the new guy, the new girl coming mm-hmm. on, you know, right? Like I, I don't know, like maybe she deserved a, sm- a smidge more than she got somehow. But I mean, you know, the stories also kind of relate. Both both characters are going kind of through a metamorphosis. So it kind of fits, but I see what you're saying, Brian. I think it also illustrates, I think the problems they had writing for Kess, you know, because in a way, I I mean, I would struggle to figure out exactly how they would tell the tale. Like what would be the perfect wrap up Kess's story episode if you, if it was all, all 40 some minutes were given to her and it's kind of tricky. And I think that just, maybe that says something to the, like, like we said in the last one, you know, that the, the corner they put themselves in with this character and all her attributes and so on. I like that scene between Janeway and seven when seven tells Janeway, she's no different than the board because she isn't letting mm-hmm. seven choose. Um, but that's, yeah, I guess that's kind of a good example where my favorite scene, the best lines, stuff like that. And most of the cast scenes, honestly, I feel like we'd seen them before. Like some of the storylines seems pretty similar to um, that another episode where she went too far with her powers. And right. it was the other one, right? Where she like boiled some of Tuvok's face. Yeah. Or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. The same thing, the candle. Right. That scene should have been like, focus on the candle. Try not to boil my face, you know? <laughs> but uh, um, isn't that the contrast of the episode, Brian? I mean, so you have, you have Kess who has grown and matured to a point where Janeway feels like she's capable and of making her own decision. You know, cause Jane, Janeway is Janeway in this episode is definitely the parental figure. On one hand, you have, you have seven to nine who is, who is the child who is, incapable of making um, rash and logical decisions for herself. Um, and on the other hand, you have um, um, Kess, who is, who has grown into, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, this person that she's grown into that, that she's no longer the, the youngling that they, that they took out of, um, took away from the caretakers um, control. 
so she, you know that's the contrast between two characters you see Janeway you know making firm choices for seven and nine and at the same time she wants to do that for Kess she wants to be that firm no you can't leave but she understands that Kess is she she's fully conscious and aware of what she's doing I think it's also you know the contrast of characters that you know people that have their stuff completely together are not so interesting compared to people <laughs> that have a lot of way to go you know because yeah, yeah I, I you know i i like kess and where they ended up but it's i i don't know what it was and maybe they just missed the missed their opportunity and figure out how to tell that tale but you know this naive to you know all the way to this you know, character that's super mature, almost a godlike character in her abilities and powers, and then ultimately in her maturity. Um, that's that's great, and then she, it's interesting. But that, and then you have like, yeah, I agree that that scene with Seven of Nine and Janeway because because there's truth in it. It's like when a when a child calls out a parent, you know, on something they did. When and then you, you come to this realization, oh yeah, you know, she's kind of right. That's it's not right that she handled it that way, and that's more interesting, you know, and yeah. It was the hair. It was the hair, Stephen. You know, when Kes finally grew her hair out, <laughs> right? It all made sense for her. Yeah, it all came down to. <laughs> you know, I gotta say, uh, this is not. I don't know how fair it is to think this way, but watching this episode now, we have something we didn't have. How, whatever that was. When did this air? Twenty years ago. Twenty-one years ago. Yeah. Um. Let me let me pose this to you. Let's say Jennifer Lean leaves this show and goes on to be a mm. big movie star, or maybe she's in a bunch of other TV shows and she's still working and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. Watching this episode would feel different. Yeah. Instead, I watch this episode and think they canned her from this show, and it was the beginning of this this fall. Yeah. You know. Um. Well, I remember seeing her in what, um, what was that movie? Um, yes, American History X, American right? X, <laughs> yes, that's the one other thing, right? And that was around the time this ended. She got off the show. She was very uh, good in that, and also another trick. Avery guy Brooks, was, yes. Avery Brooks was, yeah. was very good in that. 20 years ago, and that's it, right? Mm -hmm. So I, I guess I'm saying this episode is a lot more sad to me because, fair or unfair, I watch it and think, you know, she never recovered. She, Jennifer Lean, the actress, never recovered from mm -hmm. getting fired. And I don't know this woman. You know, I don't know whether what else might have gone on or whatever. But mm -hmm. that you can't help but think that. I can't help but think. Mm -hmm. Well, the track. I mean, you know, has Avery Brooks been anything since then? But his was a, his. No, was... I'm not just talking about not having a career. Avery Brooks is, does yeah. a million things. Yeah, we're for talking sure. about a woman that. You, you know, you know, the real stuff that happened. To Jennifer I know a little Lee, right? bit. I know a little bit of that. She's kind of had it rough. Yeah. I mean, she's literally been, been, been arrested and, you know, it, it's not good. That's, you know, we, I, I, there's nobody else we could say that about in the history of Star Trek, that it, that, that sort of things happen. Mm -hmm. I don't know who said it, but like, there's that line about, uh, you know, every, in a, in a sense, fiction filmmaking or television also is a documentary of the actors, you know, in a way. I mean, I think this is kind of a, an example of that, you know, knowing the history of it, knowing what happened, everything, everything intermingles a bit, you know. Is this episode about anything? Um, I, I think in a lot of ways it's about, it's about a metamorphosis. You know, you, like I said, I mentioned earlier, you know, 
seven or nine, going from one um, state of identity or collective, being one, you know, being amongst millions of minds all at once to an individual and having to cope and deal with that. And then on the other side, you have Kess, who in a way is leaving her collective, Voyager, um, to become something different. Um, so it's um, to me, it's about growth. Um, from one state to another. Um, that's kind of what I got from it. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, it's, you know, because you, you have these these two characters in different stages of growth and different stages of life, you know, and so, um, and their their contrast helps, you know, solidify the point of these these stages and what it takes to grow and, you know, cycle of life and so on. So, yeah. It was kind of funny, but when I look, look back on Voyager and that kind of thing, I didn't, you know, I don't, I don't often remember that there's an intermingling between Kess and Seven and Nine. I just, I, you know, I think about it and I think there's this point where Kess is gone and Seven and Nine's there, but, you know, you have the, you know, Scorpion to a, a, a bit. And then this episode where their storylines are very much inter, intertwined and it's just one episode. Um, it kind of would have been interesting to see how those two characters would have reacted with each other if um, Kess had stayed longer. Last thing real quick. This is the first very end of this episode. It's the first time we see Seven in basically her real costume. Mm-hmm. I think it's maybe not as shiny later, but it's pretty much it, right? She goes to dark gray and maroon and kind of... But at the time that I remember, honestly, <laughs> I remember almost being maybe... God, I hate to use this word, but it's the word that keeps coming to mind. Offended? Like this, that cat suit, it, it was just, she was just so too much. Obvious, obviously, you know, sexy space babe that I wanted Star Trek to be something higher than that. I don't know what it was, but watching this now, I mean, I didn't feel that way at all. And I don't, I don't know what that was. Maybe it's just we've like the rest of the world caught up and went way past it. I don't know. Well, Brian, you were, tw- I didn't feel that way at all here. What did you guys? Well, Brian, then, what do you feel now? Brian, you were a young man in, in, in his prime. <laughs> well, I should have, but no, but I should have been the opposite, right? I should have been like, all right, but I wasn't. I was upset then. I was. No, I, I totally get what you're saying. But what, I don't feel what, that way at all now. I, I totally get what you're saying. I mean, I, I felt it was over the top. Don't get me wrong. Jerry Ryan's a very beautiful woman. And they took, they, not only did they take advantage of that, I think they exploited it to a degree. Um, so I agree with what you're saying. Now, when I'm, it, it, yeah, so I mean, I can't, I don't know if it bothers me or not, but I definitely understand what you're saying. Yeah. So how did you feel then? How do you, how do you feel now? Same, different, what? Probably back then, I probably enjoyed it more than I do now. <laughs> <laughs> so you and I are the opposite. Now, now I'm kind of like, you know, I mean, I probably, I, on an unconscious level back then, I probably realized what was going on. But now, you know, it's, it's really, <laughs> it's very obvious. I mean, most, you know, you know, 99% of the episode, um, Jerry Ryan's, you know, like this mangled, um, half cyborg, grotesque looking Frankenstein creature. And at the end, you know, she's like, oh my God, you know, she's in the skin. You're like, it's a perfect example. You said, you know, the Catwoman outfit, but it's silver. And it's almost like, holy crap. Um, because I, I wasn't familiar with Jerry Ryan before she came to Voyager. I didn't know who she was. I'd never seen her before, but you see her then you're like, oh, damn. Um. And I, I, I think for, you know, audience ratings, they, they exploited that. Definitely. And they exploited her, her beauty and they, they went overboard. I I think it was a little too much, but it's it's the way TV is. 
I think I'm probably, um, I don't know if there's a great deal of difference. I think I'm probably, I probably was less struck by it back then and, um, than you were, Brian. But I, I mean, the sentiment was the same, but it didn't like, I wasn't like totally, you know, you know, offended by it, like you said. But, and then now it, I, cognitively think about what they're doing and why they're doing it. But I think I also have the benefit of hindsight in that knowing this, you know, this character, you know, has an interesting arc and it enhanced the show when it wasn't just that, you know, and so it's hard to separate the two, I think. Do you guys ever hear the story about how Jerry Ryan was sort of responsible for the slight stretch, but not really for uh, Barack Obama becoming president? No, I haven't heard this. <laughs> well, Not she was sure. married to a guy who was running for Senate. Right. And um, he, um, so the story, so she was married to, um, I can't remember his first name, but his, he was Mr. Ryan. They were both running, you know, Obama and him were both running for Senate. It was, yeah, it was, and it was in your state. Right? Yeah, and so um, he got caught cheating on, I think, I'm, 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 you know, viewers out there, you can correct me if I'm wrong, because it's been a while. But yeah, he got, Ryan, Jerry Ryan's husband got caught cheating on her, and that's kind of what blew his campaign. I don't think he would have. Well, the reason she's involved, it had more to do with, um, because in their divorce, information came through about some, some stuff that he did. Yeah. Hmm. You know, and you know, so that's what. Uh, and he was, I don't know, he was going to win, or he was easily the favorite, or something, and then all of a sudden he got destroyed, and then Jeez. Barack Obama came in, and he was, he became senator. I don't know. Then, I don't know. I mean, he was the. I would say he was the perennial favorite early on, kind of, you know, when early on in the election before everything got hashed out. I don't, I mean, obviously, yeah. I mean, it's, you know, we'll, like we'll, we'll never know one way or the other. But so then Barack Obama becomes senator, and then he gives that speech at the 2004 right. uh, Democratic uh, Convention, and then he runs in 2008. Yeah. <laughs> wow. The rest is history. Thank you, Jerry Ryan. But the, but the, I, I, if you look it up, I remember that it, there, the details it was pretty it was pretty crazy and it really was like like if he had been married to somebody else that wouldn't have cared you know maybe and and she was 100 percent right i'm not for a second saying she anything she did was wrong mm -hmm. no way mm -hmm. i'm with her 100 percent. but uh you know if she'd been a different person maybe that wouldn't have happened anyhow and you know and if her husband was any kind of um good politician he would have survived that and he'd still been doing stuff now so it worked out, it worked out for the best he was like crazy rich, like maybe a banker guy or something. Yeah, yeah, if I remember correctly, yeah. So I assume she was okay even before she did this show. And um, I think he was. Well, I mean, he was running. No, no, that was after. Well, what happened? So I mean, it, I don't he, remember when it he was. was a, he was he was running in the Republican for senator, and Obama obviously is a Democrat. So I mean, they I think problem was they were they were going to run against each other, and then he dropped out, and there was a bunch of people like Mike Dicka might have. They wanted Mike Dicka to run, and then they were wanting other people to run, and then it just. You know, the Republican Party in the state just realized that nobody was going to beat Obama. So I don't think they even I think he pretty much ran unopposed in that first Senate election, if I remember correctly. I mean, I think there was a candidate, but it was just kind of like, hey, we need a token person just to be on the ballot. All right. Uh, let's do six degrees for the gift. <laughs> yeah. a, little, a little political <laughs> a little history there. The rails thing I think we don't know. Yeah. It was interesting. Uh, Steve has two. Steve, are you going first or second? I'll go first. We will see Jennifer Lean as Castle one more time after this in an episode in which she seems really mad. Name the episode. <laughs> I gave you a little hint there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, what is it? Fury? 
You got it. Adam, what season was that? Seven. No. Uh, no point, but Steve, do you know? Six? Yeah, it was six. Uh, Steve has three. Moving on. Day of Honor, Season 4, Episode 3, Production Code 172. Original air date, September 17th, 1997. Directed by Jesus Salvador Trevino. Written by Jerry Taylor. Music composed by Dennis McCarthy. Guest cast include Alexander Inberg as Boric, Alan Alshud as Lumais, Michael A. Krawick as Ramin, and Kevin P. Stilwell as Moklor. It's the Day of Honor, a time each year when a Klingon is supposed to reflect on themselves and their actions. Valana is not happy about the day. She has to work with Seven to Nine, whom she can't stand. She has been hostile towards Tom Paris, because even though she likes him and wants to be closer to him, she is uncomfortable accepting gestures of friendship from him. To top it all off, something goes wrong in engineering, and she must eject the warp core to save the ship. I love you. Say something. You picked a great time to tell me. I had a note here that says Seven offers help to Katati with an energy matrix. But just now when I was looking over my notes, I thought I'd I thought it said Seven offers the Katati help with an energy mix. <laughs> 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 like a good beverage, I guess. <laughs> uh, I certainly always remember this episode, those last few moments with Torres and, and Paris in their spacesuits floating around and leading up to Torres telling Tom she loves him. And this, at the time, I remember really being blown away and it really moving me. Maybe Maybe it's lost a little bit of its luster, but... I think this is still a solid episode just for that moment. Steve, your your thoughts here? Yeah, I like it. Um, I mean, we kind of have a classic type of episode that focuses on, you know, a character and it, and it, and it provides characterization. It, it, it feels natural. I mean, she, you know, Torres, it, it's definitely her episode. She starts somewhere, she ends somewhere else. And it also advances the series. It's, of course, where they become an item officially more or less, um, you know, um, or at least that's how I have it in my head that way, Taurus and Paris. Um, and you also have some, some stuff with seven, which you, you have to do with a new character. You have to keep moving with that to keep her relevant and where is she going? So again, they juggled that component as well. So, um, yeah, I, I, and there, there's, there's kind of a action component to it too, and solving problems too. So I think it's pretty, it's pretty well rounded. I enjoy the episode, and I think it's, it's got a lot going for it. And you know, and I think we both, I think we all agree, we like the, um, the Balana and Tom Parrish relationship. Um, you know, obviously in the original series there weren't any, um, you know, long term relationships. We, we got hints of it in Next Gen with um, just overnight ones. You mean? Yeah, overnight. You know, the, we got we got to know the one night <laughs> stand in, in the original original series. And obviously, Next Gen. You know, we got some of that with um, um, Riker and um, um, Troy, but that didn't really culminate until the to the movies. And, and DS Nine, you got um, you know, Worf and um, Dax, but that kind of came later in the in the series, and that ended. Not too well for Worf, but I, I like the I like this dynamic. You know, obviously they're stuck in a ship. You know, people are going to commingle, and you know, 
get into relationships. So I like that they did this. I, I like that. And they both have good chemistry. Um, I think if I remember correctly from the previous season, we have, we all kind of liked what was going on with the two of them. And um, I, I think they kind of handled it well. They just didn't jump right into it and like, hey, we're an item now. They kind of progressed it over time and over episodes, you know, kind of little by little. And um, obviously in this episode, we get the, you know, the culmination of uh, Lana saying that she really, um, you know, she loves Tom Barris and he loves her. And um, obviously they eventually get married. And it's, I, I, I really enjoyed this, this, this relationship in Voyager. Do they get married? I guess they do. Do they? I don't remember. I believe they do. We'll find out, right? They live together. I, I think so. I think so. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. She's actually in real like life. She's pregnant here. here. Yeah. I think she's only a few months along and maybe some people didn't know, but it's neat to see that warp core get ejected after he, have we actually seen that before? We hear it a lot. I, I don't recall. I remember thinking it was pretty interesting at the time. Um, I, I know it's the it's got to be the first time we actually like let's go back and get it. You know, I mean, you know, as far as ejecting it or usually it's ejected. No, we can't. I mean, that's ninety percent of the time, right? And so then it's we can eject it, but do we actually ever get it back? And it just blows up. So that that's what's kind of fun about this one too. That blood pie didn't look very bloody. I mean, it kind of looked like mush. Yeah, I don't know. He knows. <laughs> make one of those very well. So I'm going to ask Steve this: Did we ever have a day of honor with Worf in any of the series? I can't. I was thinking about that. No, recall. this is a new thing here. Yeah, because there was a a book, or a, actually a series oh, of books. Yeah, yeah right? that's right. That's right. This is one of the very few times where there was a book thing that influenced the show. So I think the writer of the book or the editor over there at Pocket Books told um, Jerry Taylor about this and then she kind of incorporated it here as like this Klingon holiday thing. I mean, there's so many different things they celebrate and have rituals for it. You know, I mean, it's hard to keep it all straight, but yeah. But just timing wise, since this was, you know, after the wharf. Mm -hmm. So Vulcans get pumped far and, and Klingons get the day of honor. Good to know. Well, pumped far is a a physical Mm -hmm. thing. This is just like a like a. No, I get you. I'm just saying, you know, there wasn't a lot of um, there wasn't a lot of ri- you didn't get a whole lot of ritual esque type days from the Falcons. It's a nice little moment there where the Katati captain sees Seven of Nine and you know gets a little bit upset. I feel like that could have been, well, I don't know. I guess that would, if he'd really gotten as upset as he should have, or as you know, emotionally furious as he could have it probably would have been more like you'd almost have to dedicate the whole storyline to that saying oh you're a borg and borg killed my family right you know so i guess i can see why they didn't go any farther so you know a solid episode Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. it is pretty pretty memorable the two of them at the end there and floating through space yeah yeah and they did a good job like with the effects i never feel like they're just standing there waving their arms (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah they faked it pretty well is this episode about anything? It's about realizing love, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> while you're while you're about to die, or when you think you're about to die. Did it require? I mean, if the only way Torres was going to tell Tom she loved him and that she's been a jerk is because she, you know, thinks she's going to die. Well, they kind of said known she was going to get rescued. She wouldn't have said that, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, they've you know, Belana's you know, she's Klingon. She's stubborn 
Um, so, you know, they've, they've set this up with their character. She has a hard time coming, you know, you know, expressing her, her, her feelings, especially on the softer side. She has no problem like being hostile. And that's just her character. So I think they they kind of had to do something dramatic to get her to the point where she realizes that she needed to say that and express it. Steve, you got anything for what it's about? Yeah, I mean, maybe she would. Maybe she would. Yeah, it's it's hard to kind of put it all together because you you want to try to tie the A and B stories in some fashion, but I'm not sure it's so easy here. I mean, obviously you have, I mean, there there is kind of a, coming to terms with your feelings and who you are to some extent going on. I mean, Taurus is, you know, is coming to terms with her Klingon side a little bit. And we see a lot more of that later. We've seen it leading up to this too, but coming to terms with that, but more specifically coming to terms with feeling and letting herself feel and what it's, and what it's like. And I mean, seven is the B story with her thing. She ultimately has a self-sacrifice moment or a little bit of one and uh, is like a one little step, more toward human side with this and uh but really that's kind of a sideline to the whole what's going on with with Taurus and Paris but yeah if I'd say what it's about I mean I yeah I guess it's more or less that you know big events will will obviously kind of all came together for Torres fortuitously in a sense. I mean, she had this day of honor. She had this, I'm almost going to die here and all this kind of stuff. It worked out for her to come to terms with her feelings and a little bit of who she is. I do got a quick question for both you guys. Do you think they, um, do you think maybe seven of nine incorporated a little too soon? I mean, she's, if I remember correctly, you know, she, you know, in the last episode, she's rebelling, you know, she's trying to get back to the Borg. And then there's that quick turnaround where she's completely in with, um, with her new environment and her new crew. Do you think they, they went too quickly on that route? Or do you think they should have drawn out her, her simulation into Voyager a little longer? I mean, I, I think I, I felt a little bit of that with her. She is basically offered to you know, sacrifice herself for the crew thing. And I was saying, already? Really? That I mean, there was a little bit of that, unless it was a completely naive thing on her part, which I didn't discount that notion. To. That's kind of how it felt to me, actually, mm-hmm. yeah. So, I don't know. All right, let's do Six Degrees for Day of Honor. Adam, do you want the episode title question or the alien species question? <laughs> Do you want to eat mush or do you want to eat dirt? Blood pie. Uh, <laughs> blood pie. Um, I guess I'll take the episode question. Let's see what happens. Alan Altschuld plays Loomis, the alien captain who wants a lot. He played one of the villains in Next Gen's sixth season when Picard single-handedly saves the Enterprise after he goes to get his horse riding gear. Name the episode. Goes to get his horse riding gear. Um, I have no idea what the episode name is. I, I'm not. I'm, I'm not even sure if I'm thinking about the right episode, so... I'll find out eventually. Also had uh, future Tuvok. Is that the one where they're like cleaning? They have like this ray that's going all the way through the Enterprise, cleaning it out of stuff. That's the one. That's all. So I have the right episode, but I don't have the, the title. Go for it, Steve. Yeah. Shut me out. Shut me down today. Is that Starship Mine? Yes, sir. Steve, he also played Uranic in Gambit Part 1. What species was Uranic? Hint. The same species that James Cromwell played on Next Gen's Birthright. 
And geez, okay, I can picture him um, with the little the funny line down and the yeah. Yeah. Oh Lord. Uh, um. And the name Uranic. Oh, is it? Well, I don't know if I'm thinking of the right thing. Was it Uridian? Yes, sir. Steve wins it five to zero. I think. Yeah. Ow! Out. Ow! Yeah. Hmm. You've been if you if you if you've been listening long enough to us, you realize that happens more often than not. Steve, shut me out. We got a smidge of news uh, that the Picard show is somehow influenced by or dealing with the brief prime timeline events from mm-hmm. the JJ Star Trek, where uh, Romulus is just and Remus are destroyed. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's kind of interesting. Yeah, yeah. Um, we also heard there's going to be a second animated show. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, something to do with more kid friendly type. Or yeah. Something. So, has Discovery news. started yet? Discovery next season two starts next week. By the way, Steve, uh, I had asked you if they fixed their CBS All Access. I'd heard they fixed the app so that now you're actually getting 5-1 sound on the Apple TV. You were going to check on that and tell us. Tell us. Oh, I have not checked on it, but I'll okay. figure that out. But, but you did watch the last of the short tracks, yes. I assume? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No spoilers, but you were happy with that one too? Yeah, I thought it was a lot of fun. I thought it was something unusual and different and clever. I, I enjoyed it. Cool. Well, I'm planning to still planning to rewatch Discovery season one in the next week, uh, and then I will subscribe to CBS All Access again in time to watch the four the short treks just before um, season two premieres. Oh yeah, he's he, Chrisman also said we're gonna get a couple more short treks that are and these are gonna be animated. Is that did I understand that right? I, I don't. I just saw some of the stuff today, but I certainly read about more short tracks, but I don't know the details. And then you guys saw that um, the there's no right. films. All the films are dead. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Star Trek Four. No, they haven't officially canceled it, but I mean, the S.J. Clarkson, who you know they had signed to direct it, she's now off it because she's taking a job to do that Game of Thrones spinoff. So you know, can't blame her. Can't blame her. We can talk about Trek movies another day. Brian's voice is hurting. Yep. <laughs> All right, folks. Uh, let's see. Follow us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Trek Companion. Our Twitter handle is at Trek Companion. You can send us an email, trekcompanion at gmail.com. I hope you all had a great uh, holiday break and are happy to get right back at it. And that's what we're going to be doing, uh, including two weeks from now when we do the next three episodes of Voyager's fourth season. So until then, thanks for spending an hour with us. Take it easy. Bye, guys. See ya. I passed it.